A little positivity. Greetings, fellow Joymongers. I am delighted to have you join again for another episode of Joyfully You Life with Dr. Petrina Clark. Today, I am joined by my very good friend, Luciana Borio. She's a medical doctor and is also a leading source of insight on COVID-19. Hence, the reason we have her here today talking with us about COVID and vaccine hesitancy and other such related pandemic issues. So Lou specializes in emerging infectious diseases, complex public health emergencies, and biodefense. She has dedicated her career to preparing for epidemics, and she's a recognized expert and highly sought after advisor on these issues. I actually met Lou when she worked at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, where she has served as the acting chief scientist. I'm so glad we've remained connected and even happier to count her as a very good friend. Lou, welcome to the podcast. Oh my gosh, Petrina, it's so great to be here. I love your podcast and it's such an honor to be part of it now. (laughs) Well, it's an honor to have you here. And I know I've shared this story with you, but I just have to share this story with my listeners. So just as we were starting to really get news that the pandemic was actually a serious issue, a serious situation. My family and I had this blowout trip planned to the Big Apple. We were going to New York. We had multiple theater events. We had multiple restaurant reservations. We were going to, we we were just going to do New York up as a family. And my brother-in-law, I think that when this was happening, was probably the one who was most anxious about whether we should actually be going And so he launched this little campaign with my mom to get my sister and I to agree that we shouldn't take the trip. And of course, I was on the, oh, it's just not that serious. It's just not that big a deal. It just couldn't possibly be that big of a deal. And my sister said, well, I don't know. I'm I'm just really nervous about this. And I said, well, I've got somebody I can ask. So hold on a quick second. Let me check in. And so I texted you. And you right away said, well, if it were me, I probably wouldn't be going to New York right now. You were very gracious. You weren't fear-mongering or anything like that. But you just said, if it were me, I probably wouldn't be going to New York right now. And then almost the following week, it's like everything just blew up everywhere. It's like, oh my God, this is really a major, major situation. So again, I want to now take the opportunity on the podcast to thank you for saving my family's lives because I'm confident that that situation would have turned out not very good for us. As you know, I've got an underlying medical condition and my mom and sister have some some health concerns as well that make us pretty susceptible to viruses. And so I just, I, again, am so grateful that I thought to text you and that you were kind enough to text me back right away and say, keep your butt out of New York City right now. My goodness, Katrina, that was a scary time, wasn't it? Like in the beginning when you know, we knew that something was really going to happen. Something big was going to happen. It was unfolding, but, you know, it was difficult to really assess the magnitude. And we couldn't, I think, have imagined that things have turned out to be so bad this past year. Yeah. Uh, But now a lot of cases, you know, circulating in New York in the, you know, early in the early in the year, much sooner than we knew to be the case. Exactly. And then when we did start getting the actual reports, like you said, it was so much worse than we could have ever imagined. And New York City actually ended up once again being ground zero for a major national event. So I'm glad to have stayed away as you counseled. 
And I do hope that we'll be able to get back to New York soon. And I'm going to ask you about that a little bit later in the episode. But how are we doing now nationally in terms of getting people vaccinated? It's incredible, the accomplishment that this administration, the American people, you know, have come together to really roll up their, their arms, their sleeves to get vaccinated. And, you know, the goal, of course, of President Biden is to get 70% of adults vaccinated by July 4th. Today, uh, he launched a national action plan to get more people vaccinated, which is going to be, you know, far-reaching and involve lots of businesses, community leaders, community organizers, doctors. So it's, it's, it's going to be very interesting. And I think we can do it. But, you know, as of today, we have 62% of people over 18 that has received at least one dose of this vaccine. Oh, wow. That's very encouraging. It's a great, great number. And we don't hear about that too often. We focus on the hesitance, the vaccine hesitancy numbers, but 62%. And I guess that, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before we started taping the episode. And there is a a negative, I think, bent on media because that just tends to get more attention. So I really appreciate your highlighting that we're already up to 62%. It hasn't been that long since the teenagers have been able to get vaccinated. So I'm looking forward to seeing what those numbers look like. But wow, that's a really high number. That's right. And more than, of course, 85% of those older than 65, have also received at least one dose of vaccine. Many have been vaccinated fully with two doses for the Moderna or Pfizer vaccine. So, and we know that that population was very vulnerable to COVID with respect to dying from COVID, from mortality, not just you know getting sick and having long-term sequela, but really dying. And the numbers have now dramatically changed after we focus vaccination on the population. So I'm very hopeful. I think that we're in a really great place right now in the U.S. I can't say the same for the rest of the world because, you know, clearly we don't have enough vaccine today to be able to go around. And most of the world has no access to the types of vaccines that were developed here in the U.S. You know, our vaccines are safe. They are effective. They've been thoroughly evaluated in very rigorous clinical studies, thanks to the FDA. A lot of... Uh, safety monitoring that continues to, you know, to happen so that we can maintain this confidence in these vaccines that have been rolled out. So we are in a great place. And the real challenge for us now is to find a way to scale the production so we can do more for the rest of the world. Yeah, that is, I mean, as global citizens, we definitely have a responsibility for the global community. So I'm excited to hear that, you know, we're looking for ways to increase our response to making sure that our global brethren and sisters have the same kind of access to vaccinations. I know I was reading an article, so I kind of read the quick and dirty media about this, certainly not the scientific publication. So I appreciate your giving it to us in lay terms. But, you know, I appreciated your making the point about, you know, not over-focusing on vaccine hesitancy. There's definitely some of that. But by and large, we see large swaths of communities overcoming that hesitancy and saying, you know what, let's just get this done. Let's just get the vaccine. And I think that the continued reporting on, you know, these vaccines being overwhelmingly safe, even though there may be some new technologies involved that are not as familiar to lay persons in the community. But 
you know, at some point we have to have trust and confidence in the experts. We do it in so many other aspects of our lives. And I've seen a lot of jokes and memes about people eating all kinds of things and drinking all kinds of things, but they don't want to take a vaccine. So that, <laughs> that will, you know, potentially save not only their life, but the lives of many others who might come into contact with them. So I really appreciate you making that point about just how safe these vaccines are. You know, and I think it's very normal for people to be a little bit anxious early on because after all, these are new technologies. And while the truth is that they've been in development for many, many years, right? So that didn't happen just in the last year. These technologies have been in development for more than 20 years. But this is the first vaccine that relies on these technologies. So I think it's it's very natural to be careful to like, do I really, you know, is this something that is going to help me and my family and my community? And of course, the answer now is yes. But, you know, not to dismiss the fact that some people do feel anxious and it's perfectly normal. You know, it's very common to see labels put on the hesitant community. It's more prevalent in Republicans or less in Democrats or rural or urban and all. And I don't think it helps so much because you put a label to a demographic that does not, it's not 100%, first of all. And it doesn't really inform us about how to then you know, positively impact the community so they can perhaps shift their posture on the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And there's a researcher from Harvard who did a really nice job. She broke folks into four different groups and she called them the watchful. Uh, and that's about 8% of the hesitants. They are the cost anxious who, you know, really can't afford to take off work, who don't have a place to leave their children with to go get the vaccine. Even the vaccine is free, but it's not really, you know, free to take time off or to take time off afterwards because you don't feel well from low-grade fever or that might happen. And then there is the system distrusters. And I find that to be a really interesting group because predominantly, you know, Black communities that say, well, the system didn't do much for me in the healthcare, like healthcare system. Mm-hmm. So how can I know that this is all of a sudden they want to do something for me? Like, what does that really mean? Like what strings are attached or, you know, and that's about 4%. And then there's about 14% of the COVID skeptics. And those are very difficult to influence. But you can see that, you know, it's not just one group of hesitants. And if you put aside the COVID skeptics, which really distrust authorities and all that, there's a lot of room, a lot of opportunity to inform the wait and see and programs to impact the cost anxious and also programs to help the system distrusters who really need to be, you know, led by at the community level. Wow, that's really phenomenal that we have the breakouts like that. So definitely resonate with sort of the system distrusters like, okay, yeah, sure, it's a setup. Yeah, I'm not going to get taken out. So I get that. But the skeptics. And so within that group of skeptics, does that include people who just think that COVID isn't really even a thing? That's right. So that's why they're so challenging because they don't even think it's a problem to begin with. And they also are very much into the belief, like a personal choice. They don't want government telling them to wear masks. You know, they want to have full autonomy over decision-making. And, you know, this group is not really influenced by famous people or celebrities, they trust doctors for the most part. So it requires that one-to-one engagement. 
Mm. The problem, of course, is a lot of doctors who practice in those areas are also COVID skeptics, which is a fascinating thing to me that, you know, you have healthcare practitioners who went to medical school and know the science and, you know, they're not immune from being COVID skeptics. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is phenomenal. And that's probably a whole episode in and of itself. Wow. So they're going to these practitioners who are probably reinforcing their hesitancy because the doctors are skeptics too. That's right. And what happens is very much like, you know, I I reach out to you and I say, hey, is this a good idea for me to be doing right now? And I trust what you tell me. And so the same would normally be true for them. And it becomes very, I love the point you made about, you know, really being careful about being disparaging or being critical of people who are hesitant to take the vaccine, whether they, you know, regardless of which of the four groups they fit into, because there's an underlying belief system there that supports them in how they're moving through their own lives. And everybody has the right to do that. I guess the question I would have for you, you know, now that you've made me aware that we even have medical doctors who are skeptics, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised. We certainly saw a few of those paraded out during the previous administration. But what would be like the Two or three things you would say to a colleague who's skeptical about COVID actually being a major threat to public health care? Well, so I would first try to, or the vaccines in particular, I would try Mm -hmm. to understand what's the misconception. So a very common one is that, you know, we don't have enough sufficient safety information because the trials were rushed. Okay. And the trials were, you know, 30 to 50,000 people of diverse backgrounds they were randomized controlled clinical trials, the gold standard, where half the people did not receive the vaccine and have to, so you can really have a very clean comparison between the safety sickness and the efficacy of these vaccines. And the FDA insisted on two months of follow-up after the trials were finished enrolling. If you look at the data for all the vaccines that exist, you know, they're FDA approved, licensed and all, we know that had been in development historically. Now we know that most safety signals of concern really emerge very early on, usually about, I would say, two months, right? So an FDA usually requires about six months of follow-up data before they license a product. So not only we had a lot of safety information, and even more now, there's a lot of people that have been vaccinated more than six months ago, and actually, you know, tens of millions have been vaccinated. So This idea that the vaccines, you know, they were rushed and all that don't really hold water anymore. Right. The other one that is very common is uh, whether the vaccines could impact fertility. That is especially a problem because, you know, a lot of healthcare workers, nurses and all women have reproductive age and they want to have children. And uh, that demographic of healthcare workers, that was one that was more hesitant than others. And they're, of course, at very high risk of COVID because they were at the bedside. And again, that spread through social media, through a campaign of misinformation. And again, there's no basis for that whatsoever. There's no real plausible way that those vaccines would alter fertility. But COVID, being sick, being seriously ill, can. So then, you know, you have to explain where the real risk is, which is not to be vaccinated. Right. Well, that leads me to another sort of interesting thread. So we're hearing a lot about variants, and I think we have a new variant that just popped up. How concerned should we be that there might be another significant rise in cases because of some variant of 
the virus. Of concern. The variants are little mutations of the virus. You know, the virus replicates and makes mistakes as it's doing that. And some of these mistakes actually work to the virus advantage. And any mutation that makes it more transmissible or that allows it to evade immune protection makes it to the advantage of the virus. And therefore it wins, right? And, uh, and then it tends to replicate. So it is a real problem globally because we've seen some of the variants that do tend to evade the protection of some vaccines or that are more transmissible. But thankfully for the vaccines that we have in the U.S., they are holding up pretty well, including against the variants. In the lab, we can show that there's a little bit of a decrease in protection, neutralization, but that's in the lab and it's only measuring one component of protection. There are many different components that these vaccines work through. It stimulates a good part of the immune system and, and these vaccines retain their, their protection. So if we have good coverage here in the U.S., it's very difficult to imagine that these variants are going to catch up with us. Globally, is a different story, which makes it even more important for us to, you know, to do more to increase vaccination access globally. Yeah. So traveling, uh, you know, I, I know we've got several travel advisories on international travel and proof of COVID negative tests are required for a lot of international travel. Domestically, though, is it, is it pretty safe for us to be traveling domestically right now? Yeah, I think it's a real, you know, personal decision at the end of the day that has to take into account one's personal health status, how much exposure they're expected to have to others at their destination, whether it's going to be a meaningful trip. Is it worth it? And is it worth the risk? A friend of mine always talks about a little risk bank that we have a little credit in the bank and then like use it wisely. And I feel very comfortable right now myself, you know, traveling uh, domestically. The rates are, the, the disease is so low. The numbers are so low right now, much lower than they were. And we had, look, you know, so because the numbers are so low, not only, you know, these vaccines are very protective, but the likelihood that you get exposed to somebody, it's also much lower than they were in January, for example. Right. Things could change in the fall, but right now it's a good time to travel. You know, the one thing that I want to mention, because I think, it's also a source of misconception, and I think it's important as people consider travel, is that even for those who recovered from COVID, it's very important for them to get the vaccine. Yeah, I've heard uh, that. Yeah, the protection afforded by the vaccine is much higher than the protection afforded by natural infection. For the most part, people that were infected, they're you know, very low risk of them being reinfected with a similar viral strain but they are quite vulnerable to being infected with the new variants. Mm -hmm. And as the vaccine is protective across the board. And I think that that's something that a lot of people who had already COVID feel like it's not, you know, they're done, they don't need to, to be vaccinated, but it's, it's not the case. Yeah, I've actually heard that. It's like, well, I've already had it. And I actually know people who've had it twice. I know one person who had it twice and he did opt to get the vaccine because he said, you know, he made it about being important to be socially responsible. And he's someone that's in a lot of public settings where there are a lot of people. And in the beginning, there was this hesitancy to take the vaccine because he was in a younger demographic and he didn't feel like he was at that greater risk of catching COVID. He caught the virus. He didn't get sick. Like, you know, he didn't really have significant symptoms. I, I would say he was pretty asymptomatic. The first time and the second time, I think the second time he maybe felt a little bit more fatigued, but there wasn't any debilitating symptoms that, you know, really impacted him much. 
But even after that, he said, you know, it's just the right thing to do because we're circulating in these environments where we can be carriers and it's just not right to be potentially infecting people with something that even though it's not harming me, it could be a matter of life or death for somebody else. That's a great point. And that's something that we did not know early on from the vaccine. We were not sure that the vaccine was going to be not only protective to the individual, but also minimize the risk of the individual transmitting to a susceptible individual. And now we know these vaccines do both. So that's another reason to be vaccinated. You know, your theme is so, as I know from you know your podcast, but also like over the years, it's like choose wisely, you know, live a, a life that is... Um, what is the word that you usually use? Like deliberate. Right? Intentional, like, yeah. Intentional. I love that word, intentional. And I think that, you know, it, this is a great time to really be intentional about the fun choices. Is this restaurant really worth it? Is this trip really going to be worth it? Is this music concert worth it? Because we know that indoor settings with strangers and crowds is what affords the greatest risk for disease acquisition. But I think it can be done safely for vaccinated people who have a good health status. And I think the icing on the cake is that they can be intentional about it. Yeah, I love that. And that was really one of the the reasons it was really important to me to have you here today to talk about this in a way that supports people in being more intentional. We kind of started down some of these threads when I saw you earlier this you know last month, which it was great to see you as always. But Yeah, being intentional about your choices and arming yourself with information, educating yourself so you can make informed decisions. You know, some people, I'm definitely, as you know, a huge proponent of trusting your instinct, trusting your gut, but we actually have three brains. You know, we have a head brain, we have a heart brain, and we have a gut brain. And so it's important to use all three of those when we're making important decisions about, you know, how we're going to live our lives to the fullest fully joyfully ourselves, right? Kind of capturing capturing that theme of the the podcast. And I feel like sometimes we can be a little bit cavalier and I don't want us to be that way with our health because there's just there's just no substitute for good health. You can have all the money in the world, but if if you have poor health, you're not going to have a very high quality of life in terms of joy and enjoyment. So for that reason, I'm really a very strong proponent of doing what you need to do to keep yourself well, holistically, so completely well. And physically well is absolutely a big, big part of that. That's right. And vaccines are a really easy way to do that. Very Um, easy way. We've been doing it for a long time now. So vaccine is not a new concept in this country. I don't know why we're acting that way. You know, it's the epidemic is not going to go away, right? right? We know that it's not going to disappear. This is a coronavirus. Uh, we have many types of coronaviruses that spread seasonally and we get the common cold usually. So the virus even, you know, because it's really impossible to imagine like herd immunity for the whole globe in the foreseeable future, because again, the vaccine production is limited. Right. This is going to need to circulate, right? So people that says, well, I didn't get it. I'm going to be fine. Well, <laughs> and they need to... They're not going to be living their most fulfilled life in fear, I say, because for months or years, because we'll be seeing these hot spots and little yeah. minor epidemics emerging in different spots. And yeah. I don't want to live like, if I go to the grocery store, I may get this. Or 
if I travel, I may get this. It's not a fun way to live. No. And I will say, I definitely felt a huge sense of relief. I was the last one in my immediate family to get the vaccine. And before my niece, because, you know, she's 14. So she has gotten her first dose and she's scheduled to get her second dose any day now if she hasn't already received it. But there was just such a sense of relief at having that level of protection. You know, it's not 100%, but there aren't a lot of things in life that do offer 100% guarantees. But you know, it's pretty close. And it, as you pointed out, it certainly beats the alternative, which is getting sick and, you know, risking having to be on a ventilator in a hospital and your family members can only come and visit you, you know, maybe one at a time if they're lucky. So that's right. It is not 100%, but it's close to 100% in terms of, you know, mortality, preventing mortality. That's incredible. That really exceeded our expectations. I don't think that you could have asked any scientist, clinical doctor, or regulator, you know, a year ago, whether, you know, we would have expected these vaccines to be as effective as they have been. Yeah, Incredible. I like the point about the mortality because that, you know, I, I even though I've been fully vaccinated now for a little bit, I still have a little bit of hesitancy about being in public places where there are a lot of people. And, you know, part of it is just not knowing what people's status is. And so a lot of my fully vaccinated family and friends are still opting to continue wearing our masks, despite the CDC guidance that says if you're fully vaccinated, you really don't have to in almost all situations. So do you think we're being a little bit too cautious? Is this overkill with the mask? What do you think? I think of being careful. And I do too. I, I do wear masks when I am in you know, the grocery store, when I'm in an indoor place that is not a fun place. <laughs> if I am, you know, some friend's house, you know, having dinner, it's a moment of joy, right. uh, but I'm minimizing my risk. And I feel like that's the balance we have to, you know, everybody's going to have to find their own balance. But to me, that's a reasonable balance. Uh, I'm not wasting my risk going to the grocery store, my risk, my risk credit. I'm wearing my mask, even though I've been fully vaccinated. I love that idea of a risk bank, right? And you make deposits and withdrawals. And so you could view every time you wear your mask out, you're putting a deposit in the risk bank. And if you go to an indoor social event, that's a lot of fun. And you're just, you know, your endorphins are off the chart because you've been laughing for a solid hour straight, then, okay, we've taken a withdrawal out of the risk bank. But you know, on balance where we've got more credits in there. And, you know, if I get a little bit sick from that, I had a good time. So it was in the pursuit of joy as opposed to just being reckless and indiscriminate, unintentional. That's right. That's right. That's right. And of course, if we have, you know, a fall winter surge, which is always possible, we don't know that yet, then you know, I'll change my behavior because, but right now things are good. Get out there and, and live a joyful life. The weather is nice. It's nice to be able to, you know, go for walks and meet up with people that we haven't really been able to see for several months. Yeah. Once we get past these cicadas, these, these cicadas are a real buzzkill right now. I'm just like, when are these things going to be gone? They're everywhere. So let me ask you, you brought up the fall and this is a, an interesting question. And I think this is probably my last like super medicine vaccine COVID question. I'm hoping to get back to New York City in the fall. I think we talked about this a little bit when we visited last month. And I, you know, we both love theater, Broadway. And so I'm really hoping to be able to get to Broadway this fall. Do you think that's like a realistic plan at this moment? Should it be more wait and see? No, I think that is a realistic plan. I think if things stay in this trajectory, for sure, it's a realistic plan. I'm going to be in New York City uh, later this month. 
I don't Ooh, think that it, fun. I think the riskiest thing I'll do would be to uh, have indoor dining. And <laughs> we've got great food in New York, so we do. And the theaters, I think, will come next. You know, there's also something that happened in New York. I don't know if you've heard about the Excelsior vaccine certificate, the vaccine passport. Yes. It would be really interesting to see, you know, how widely that gets adopted or how they really implement it. It worked very well in Israel, uh, where they insisted on people being vaccinated before they could enter these public spaces. Uh, so New York may be going down, you know, in the same uh, direction. And, you know, it may not appeal to everybody, but it surely is effective. Absolutely. I love that you brought that up. And I know that businesses are able to adopt the proof of vaccine. But I don't necessarily want to call it like the passport because I know that can be very controversial. But I actually know that the city winery in D.C. is requiring when they open up that patrons show proof of COVID vaccination before being allowed to enter the venue. So that's definitely going to be very reassuring to patrons who want to go to know that to be at a table, you have to be fully vaccinated. That's right. And, you know, this is a controversial issue, especially if, you know, there are segments of the population that are cost anxious, that are not able to, you know, afford a time off to get the vaccination or have not been adequately informed about the benefits and risks to accept the vaccination. And importantly, if the government is not doing more to improve that access, right? And that's not the case right now, though. I think that the government is doing quite a bit and is planning to do more to improve access to, to that segment of population. And so if access is truly equitable and fair, then it makes it, I think, more ethically justifiable to insist on certificates to keep everybody safe. It wouldn't be the case if we had whole swaths of people that had no access to vaccination. Right. And just could not get it for the reasons that you were stating. I like that point very much. So let's transition to my overarching theme. What's bringing you joy these days, Lou? Well, <laughs> you know, I love to swim and I haven't been able to swim for the last year or so because I just didn't feel safe going to a, to a pool. And I'm looking forward to uh, resuming my swimming early in the morning uh, in the coming weeks. And I just can't wait to be, it's, there's nothing like it to me to have that, you know, first uh, dive into the pool. It's going to feel really, really special. I feel so light in the pool. I love it. The only way of buck oh five anyway, I don't even know what you're talking about. Feel so light in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's not about <laughs> one's weight. I know it's what about- you mean. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I had to tease you. I couldn't resist. So do it's you... Flying, you know, like I feel like it's almost like I'm fl- like flying, floating, you know, the, the lightness of being. It's really remarkable. Well, you know, it's interesting because I don't have that experience in the water, you know, because of the lung scarring, I'm not buoyant. I actually don't float. And so it's a workout for me to just be in water. And I can remember as a teenager, my mom, you know, like it was a trick. We would show the people who'd visit, watch, I promise you won't float. Sure enough, I'd, you know, jump in the pool, sink right to the bottom. So it's not anything that I sort of relish doing. So I don't have this buoyant light feeling being in the water. It wasn't always like that, though, I have to say. I had a good coach. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to this trip to New York. It'll be a work trip, but I, you know, I think it's going to be my first trip you know, in a while. And 
No, New York would be a changed place. I have no doubt about that. And I was yeah. there right before the pandemic and I'll go back now and see how things have, have changed. But Central Park is always Central Park and I'm looking forward to going for long walks there too. Yeah, hopefully there won't be any cicadas there. And what, what's bringing you joy these days? Oh my God, I just feel, oh, that's interesting. You're going to flip the question on me. You know, I really feel like life is just bringing me joy right now. I'm feeling this emergent positive energy around our being more connected. I'm glad to see the heightened focus and attention on some of the racial equity issues that have forever been a part of this nation's history. And I think the way that the nation is responding to that overwhelmingly is very encouraging. You know, I tend to focus on the positive and because, and, you know, we, we can choose, we can be intentional about what we choose to focus on. So I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged about, you know, getting to get out and spend time with family and friends. I've now had two sort of in-house social activities with fully vaccinated friends. You came over and then I had three good girlfriends come over. Those kinds of things bring me a lot of joy, especially coming out of this as a single person. The only consistent company has been my two chihuahuas. It's nice to be... Yeah, they're adorable, but they're not humans. And there's a lot to be said about the importance of human connection. And so I think in short, human connection is bringing me joy these days. And I'm, I'm excited about having more of it. That's wonderful to hear. Yes. Well, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time today and talking to us about these very important issues that have great import for us individually and collectively. I know that folks have learned some things today. I certainly have. I learn something almost every time we talk. And so it's one of the reasons I really love spending time with you, among many other reasons. But I just love how informed you are about this particular aspect of public health and how you're able to make it so accessible to anybody. And so I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. I always appreciate your support and welcome your letting me know how the podcast is resonating with you. So reach out to us via social media. And until next week, I want to remind you and encourage you to be joyfully you, full of joy, fully you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. A little positive.